How many of you, this is your first time at Starful Church of God? Anybody? Get, I see a couple of one hand right there. Thank, there's some more back there. Thank you so much. Thank you. so. No, Henry, we know you've been here before, but we're still glad that Henry's here too. But would you welcome all of our first-time guests here today? Please, before you leave, make sure that we give you the best gift that can ever be given, the gift of $5 to Bob's. Listen, it's better than a pen, it's better than a mug, it's better a $5 gift card. You can go and get you something good at Bob's. Make sure that you grab that, and also we're going to be giving a couple, a few, well, three giveaways to our college students before we go. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 8, I'm going to read through verse 18. I'm reading from the King James Version this morning. If you got it, you see it on the screen, say Amen. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea, by Pi-Harithon before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. I want to preach to you beginning a series this morning entitled The Red Sea Rules. Would you stretch your hands this way and ask for the Lord to anoint me? Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house. I thank you for the worship. I thank you for all that has happened here today. And Lord, I just ask for your anointing upon my life. I've got to have it from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Lord, I ask for your anointing. Give me the clarity of thought, the clarity of speech that is so absolutely necessary to do what you've called me to do here. And Lord, as this congregation prays for me, I pray for them that you'd open every heart, every mind, every spirit for every person here in this house for every person listening by podcast lord do what only you can do in their life and lord i give you the praise for it in jesus mighty name and everybody in the house said amen god bless you you can be seated here today some time ago as i knew that we would be 
approaching the beginning of a new semester, I began to pray about and think about what the Lord would have me to begin at this time, and I really felt drawn back to this. Um, you can Google it. I'm, I'm not afraid for anybody to do any of that. I know sometimes, you know, people try to be sneaky, even preachers. Some time ago, years back now, probably 10 or so years ago, I read a small book called The Red Sea Rules, and that's where I really pulled a lot of this from. I think probably as a pastor, uh, one of the things that I find more than anything is that people are looking for direction. I mean, we're living in a world today where people, even though this world's getting crazier, some things have not changed, and that is people are wondering, where do I go? What do I do? One of, the most, one of the most frequent questions I'm asked as a pastor is, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Pray for me. I need the Lord's guidance. Pray for me. I need the Lord's direction. Pray for me. I need to know where I should go from here. Am I in the right place? Should I go to another place? Should I stay here? I'm telling you, folks, that is probably one of the most things. And now as we sit here today and a new semester, as I thought about coming to this time and as college students would be coming in, freshmen would be coming in for the first time, and sophomores and juniors and seniors and graduate would be coming back. And I know that especially in this time, people are searching for direction. As we look at this text, we know it is a very familiar story that we have studied in Sunday school and read many, many times. How many of you in Sunday school or in children's church, you remember the story of the Red Sea? Let me see your hand. You've heard the story. You know what happens here. It's so familiar to us. It's a story of God's people finding themselves with their backs against the wall. They find themselves in a situation where nothing could save them but divine intervention. Now, I know every day we don't face that, but I think most of us at some time or another in our life, we have felt ourselves and found ourselves in that place where nothing could help us except for a divine intervention. That no amount of counseling, that no amount of talking, that no amount of reading a book, a self-help book could help us, but the only thing that could help us in the moment that we're in is a divine intervention. Beginning today and over the next few weeks, I'm going to look at 10 different points contained in this story that I believe will encourage us in difficult times. I want to give you a little warning here that I am convinced and I will never tell you that this is going to be a quick fix or if you just follow these 10 steps, everything will be instantly better. Absolutely not. But I do believe that these are a direction that will help us in the process of God's deliverance. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's number one that we find. Number one Red Sea rule is this, that first we must realize that God means for you to be where you are. Y'all gotten a little quiet on me, so why don't you look at the person beside you and say, God means for you to be where you are. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 14. If you've got your, keep your Bibles open with me or your app, whatever you're looking at, but keep them open because we're looking. Look at verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pi-Hiroth between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp 
by the sea. So we find in the beginning of this chapter that God had instructed them to go to this very place where they are at. But the children of Israel find themselves, hold on, in a bad situation exactly where God told them to go. This is not going to be a New York Times bestseller as I say that Sunday after Sunday. I feel like that's the way I usually preach. But here's the deal. Sometimes God will take you to places that are going to put you in some uncomfortable situations. The children of Israel found themselves in a bad situation. The Red Sea was in front of them. This was not just a, a, a shallow little lake or shallow little pond. It was a sea that there was absolutely, positively no way that this group of, of, of men and women, old and young, all their valuables and possessions, there was absolutely no way that they were going to be getting across this water. Now, some of you, this is funny. I hate to tell some of this sometimes, but some of these little stories are kind of amusing. I can remember one time I, I heard a preacher tell the story about the skeptics that said, well, you know, really and truly, um, uh, there, there was no, this Red Sea was not even that deep. It was only about ankle deep, and it was not really a miracle for them to cross it at the time. The skeptic was saying this, and this old fella, he was there, and all of a sudden, he just began to dance, and he began to shout, and the man said, what's wrong with you? I told you that it wasn't really that great of a miracle, that it was only ankle deep. Why would you shout about that? And the old fella said, well, I'm shouting because God was able to drown Pharaoh and his entire army in ankle deep water. So, you know, I've come to that place myself, too. No matter how skeptical you want to be, if you believe it was ankle deep, hey, that's all right. I can go with that, too, because I can believe I serve a God that's great enough to, dr to drown an entire pursuing army in ankle deep water. So, whether you want to believe it was deep, but personally, I do believe that it was a massive sea that was too deep to cross without a miracle mountains are all around them in this place where they're at they have a sea in front of them and mountains far too steep for again this group of young and old with all of their possessions to ever be able to climb out of and now pharaoh and his army are coming up fast behind them they are literally between a rock and a hard place and a sea, and an army coming in pursuit. Remember that these are newly liberated slaves. They don't have any combat skills. Pharaoh didn't allow them to learn any combat skills. All they knew how to do was make bricks and make Pharaoh's buildings. They were not able to take up arms and go and fight this army that was coming up behind them, which at the time was the most powerful army on the planet. But yet, here one more time, let me remind you that the place that they find themselves in is the place that God told them to go. Folks, let me just tell you, sometimes we find ourselves in a hard place, but sometimes that is the very place that God has told us to go. This wasn't even a place where they went out of rebellion. It was God's instruction for them to go there. But they were afraid 
and they were worried. Look again at verse 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. They were afraid. They were worried. I mean, they were the place that they were just saying, we'd just rather be slaves back there in Egypt than die in this wilderness. And let's just be honest. I mean, they had pretty good right to be afraid and worried, didn't they? Wouldn't all of us? I mean, sometimes we act super spiritual when we read these stories because we know the end of these stories. But let's put ourselves in that spot between the rock and the hard place and the great big sea and an angry Pharaoh coming up behind us. What happens when we're afraid and worried, when we're diagnosed with a disease, when we don't know how the bills are going to be paid, when we find ourselves in a dangerous situation, when we're at risk of losing our job. We find ourselves in legit. I'm not talking about some people just let fear overcome them. Some people will just allow fear and they'll just be in a situation where they really even shouldn't be afraid. But listen, I'm talking about all of us from time to time find ourselves in a legitimate situation when if we look at the circumstances around us, everything looks bleak and everything looks bad. What do we do when we're afraid and we're worried? Well, the Lord will either bring us to or allow us to come to places that will test our faith, just as he did many men and women in the Bible. You can read in the Bible, and you can find a story of a lady named Hagar, a single mom who was forced into the desert with her boy to die of thirst. You can read a story of Joseph wanting to fulfill divine dreams who was seized, stripped, and sold as a slave and imprisoned in Egypt. You can find about a man named Moses that we're talking about today that was caught between the splendors of Egyptian royalty and thankless affliction with God's people. You'll read about a man named David who I've preached about the last several weeks being anointed by Samuel and was pursued then by Israelite troops. You can read about a man named Hezekiah, king of Israel, sinking revival, was trapped by the most powerful army on earth at the time, bent on annihilating his people. You can read about the Lord's disciples in the New Testament, how they sailed at Jesus' own command on the Sea of Galilee only to face a terror-filled night of storms and waves. Why, you can even read about the Son of Man himself fulfilling the Father's will. He was nailed fast to wood and left to hang by his hands and feet until death. And then you can read in the book of Acts about the apostles trying to preach this crucified one who were then horsewhipped for doing this. But Peter gives us an answer to all this in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 when he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. Jesus had given warning in John 16 and 33 when he said, In this world you will have tribulation. Folks, I just need to tell you, there will be times where you find yourself 
yourself in a place and you're trapped. You're between a rock and a hard place. Everything looks bad. Everything's falling apart. And Jesus has said it. You're going to have tribulation. But I wouldn't be doing you justice if I stopped right there because not only did Jesus say in this world you will have tribulation, he then added, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I just need to let somebody know that this Bible never tells me that I will never face tribulation. This Bible tells me that I'll never be caught between a rock and a hard place. This Bible tells never tells me that if I'm in God's will, I'll never be stuck in a bad situation. No, it doesn't. But what it does say is that when I find myself in in one of those bad situations that he has overcome this world and that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It tells me if God be for me, then who can be against me? So you might say, well, I understand that. But what if it's my fault that I'm here? Because let's be honest, we do get ourselves into places at times because we don't follow God's leading. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I will lift mine. And say there have been times where Dennis Laughlin has found himself in a difficult place. Not because God told me to be there. But because this dodo did. <laughs> now, again, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to agree with me. But I've got a feeling that a lot of us have found ourselves in those places. God, I'm in this mess. And I got myself in this mess. I knew better. Let me meddle. I knew better than to buy that. I knew I couldn't afford that. I'm going to preach a little bit. I knew better than to get myself in that relationship. I knew they didn't love the Lord. I had heard that they treat the, their uh, significant others bad, but I just de determined to get into it. Oh, y'all ain't shouting as good as I'm preaching. All of us at some time or another have got ourselves into messes, and it was never God's fault, but it was our fault the whole time. So what do we do? Let me just say this, don't beat yourself up, repent, and don't beat yourself up. You see, Joseph, when his brothers, and I don't have time for the entire backstory here, go back and read it sometime. Joseph, who had risen to second in command in Egypt, his brothers who thought he was long dead, discover now that he is one of the most powerful men in the world. And now they are there. Their father has died. They felt like it was him that was shielding them from Joseph and his wrath. And now they're scared to death. And they're afraid that Joseph is going to kill them. And they just begin to beg for mercy. And Joseph begins to tell them, don't you worry about it because what you did to me, you intended for evil, but God has turned it around for the good. Can I just tell you, the enemy may have tricked you. The enemy may have lied to you. You may have gotten yourself into a mess, but I serve a God who's still in the business of 
taking messes and cleaning them up. He's still a God that's in the business of taking bad situations and turning them around for your good. If you believe it, would you give God praise in this house? Don't worry, I'm only giving you two today. Second thing I want to give you today, the second point that we find in this is to be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. Look at verses 3 and 4. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. See, God had said before they ever even got into this mess that this mess was coming. If I had an organ with me. The mess you're in right now, God knew about it before you ever got in it. And God had a plan to get you out of it before you ever got in it, much less right now while you are in it. You see, there are natural questions we ask when we're in a dilemma. I'm telling you, I've been pastoring for quite a little while now, and these are natural questions. We ask these questions. I ask these questions. How did I get in this mess? And how can I get out of it? I mean, that, that's just it. Most of the time, it's like, Pastor, how, 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 do I, you know, how can I get out of this? Most of the time, they've passed. They've, we do that talk to ourselves. If you don't, then maybe I'm the only nut here. But I'll talk to it. You know, how did I get in this mess? How did I get myself here? What did I do to get here? And then we say, not long after that, how can I get out of this? And then we begin, how quickly can I solve this problem? I'm ready to be out of this. And then we start getting a little more philosophical. And then we begin to ask, why did this happen to me? Come on, I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm here to testify. I've been there too. God, why did this happen to me? I've been faithful to you. Everybody else, I didn't go out and party while I was in college. I didn't sleep around. I pay my tithes. My God, I, I got a pastoral ministries degree. I, I did everything. I said, why is this happening to me? Maybe none of y'all ever do that before, but I have. Why did this happen to me? I didn't deserve this. These questions come to us. But God clearly states in verse 4 that it was happening. Why? So the Egyptians would know that he was God. Wouldn't it be something if what you're going through right now is all to bring glory and honor to him? When Lazarus was sick, he was one of Jesus' closest friends outside of the disciples. Lazarus was sick and his sisters, Mary and Martha, had called on Jesus and said, Jesus, please come. They sent messages to him. Please come to our house. Your friend, our brother, Lazarus, is sick. He's dying. Please come. I mean, now this wasn't just some acquaintance of Jesus. I mean, Jesus used to go over to their house and eat all the time. 
Jesus would hang out with them. Jesus and Lazarus were good, good friends. And so for them to call out to their friend Jesus to say, please come. But Jesus didn't immediately come. Mary and Martha didn't understand why Jesus Christ took his sweet time in getting there. I'm just going to admit also, there's been times where I've said, Dear Jesus, why are you taking your sweet time in getting here? Y'all are all more spiritual than I am. I know you've never done that before. But like Mary and Martha, I would just say, you know, why, 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 Jesus? Why haven't you showed up in this situation yet and healed him is what they were wanting. But all the time, Jesus had a plan. They couldn't see it in the middle of the crisis. But nevertheless, Jesus had a plan and Jesus had a purpose. Can I preach to somebody here today? I've walked through some stuff before. And can I just tell you, when you're walking through the middle of the stuff, it is hard to see the plan and it is hard to see the purpose. And I'm just going to get real with you today. Sometimes when I'm in the middle of the stuff, the last thing I'm really feeling is just super spiritual and like, oh God, thank you, I can walk through this. I'm so thankful for this hard time. I'm not going to try to act like I'm something I'm not. No, most of the time it's like, why God? Why? And I cannot see it. But can I just testify this morning and tell you that there has never been a time and there will never be a time where Jesus Christ didn't have a plan. And after I have walked through some stuff and God brings me out of the stuff, then I look back at the stuff and I I realize that God had a purpose and God had a plan and God was doing something all the time. I couldn't see it. I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. But folks, that's in times where we've got to have faith and take hold of God and say, God, I believe you've got a plan. You've got a purpose. I can't understand it and grasp it all right now, but I put my faith in you to know that you're in control has there ever been a time like today where we're living in a COVID COVID infested world where we're living where crisis is going they're trying to evacuate um, the, the embassy in Afghanistan gas prices are going up but praise be to God God's still got a plan God's still in control I know he is in control his plan in Lazarus' life was to show not only did he have power over sickness, but even over death itself. You see, we find in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and Jesus passed by and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Listen to this. But that the works of God should be made manifest 
in him. So before somebody gets to be a smart aleck and says, well, that's just Old Testament stuff there. Right there, Jesus said it in red letters that it was to bring glory and honor to him. Jesus lets them know that they're asking the wrong question. Somebody better hold on just a second. You see, he says to them, you are basically, you're asking the wrong question. It's not about who sinned to make this happen. No, but the question that we should be asking in the middle of our trial is not how did this happen to me, but how can God receive glory as he brings me out of this situation. I just need you to begin to say, God, I am trusting you, and I'm not worried about why I got here. I'm not even worried about how I'm getting out of here. I'm just worried about how you can get all the glory after you have brought me out of this. Because this ain't really about me anyway. God delivers differently than we may expect at times. Mary and Martha wanted a healing, but instead they got a resurrection. There's a story told of a woman who had a 16-year-old son, we're going to call him Jason, who was getting into trouble. He had begun hanging out with the wrong crowd, using drugs, dropped out of school. This mama, as mamas do, loved Jason. And she prayed for him. She loved Jason. One day she got the call, a call that she had dreaded. He's arrested for assault and armed robbery. And this mama, as any mama would be, was devastated. Now her 16-year-old son, Jason, was in jail. She wept as she drove to the juvenile detention center. But as soon as she arrived, Jason was in prison fatigues, weeping also. He asked for a Bible and wanted to turn his life around. You see, this mama probably would rather have him just come to church with her one Sunday morning and come up to the altar and gave his heart to the Lord then, but it took him going down a wrong road and being thrown into prison before he would give his heart to the Lord. Folks, I just need you to know today that God is your deliverer. Psalm 50 and verse 15 says, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm 34 and 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Stand with me, if you will, please. I know we've got several things that we're going to be doing, but I've got to take a few moments here 
as we walk this road, this journey over these next few weeks, I want you to realize, first of all, sometimes that it's that God means for you to be right where you are. Sometimes where you are is not that you've messed up, not that you've done wrong. You are right smack dab in God's will. Some of you need to realize that maybe even you did get out of God's will and put yourself in a mess, but God is not done with you and has not given up on you, so don't you give up on him. Secondly, realize that you need to be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. I know that's hard to do because most of the time we, we live, we're living in a me society. Me, me, me. All about me. How can I be better? How can I get something that I want? Sometimes what I'm going through isn't about me. But it's about, first of all, him. And then turned around for somebody else. That maybe my testimony and my story of what God brought me through might help Brother Mark. When he's going through something and suddenly he could say, it's not just something that I'm talking about, it's something I've been through. And then maybe when he gets through it, what he's going through, and he can testify about it to Brother Eric when he's going through something. It's not just about us. We, we have, I told you, I've told you this before. As a pastor, we've, we've, we've failed over the last several years of marketing the church and trying to make it some kind of consumer-friendly, all this. Listen, the gospel is not about me, 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 me. It's about him. And it's about what he can do through me to help somebody else so that they can find the same hope that I have. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I want to take just a moment or two. We're going to be calling the kids are going to be coming up here in just a second. We're going to be praying over them. This is back to school Sunday, and we're going to pray over all students. 